Hey, this is Becca Irway. I'm the worship pastor of Pathway Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and starts you on a path of purpose. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Pathway. Glad you're here. Um, If you're new, Welcome, my name is Brian, I'm the pastor, and we are a little over two years old as a church, and we are all about three main things. We believe these are the three main things in the Bible, the three main things that God wants for your life, and that is simply to know God, find family, and make a difference. Like that for us is kind of our vision as a church, that's our goal, that's, that's everything in a nutshell. And so man, we're glad that you're here. And, uh, and last week we, we talked about uh, family, and we talked about that God created you and me for one main reason, and that is to have a relationship with Him. That's why God made us. But, and we talked about that, that's so important, and we kicked off groups last week, and so man, if you haven't plugged into a group, we've already heard from a lot of them, like our women's group met uh, this past uh, Tuesday night, and I, I heard it was like awesome, it was killer, we had another group uh, meet last Sunday night, one was Wednesday night, and like people are packing out places, so it's really cool, so if you're not in a group, get in a group, my group meets this Tuesday, so I really encourage you to get in my group, because it's going to be the best, so we just, it's going to be really good, and uh, man, it's really good stuff, God created us for relationships relationships. And today we're kicking off a brand new series for the month of February called All the Feels. And it's going to be really great. Next week you definitely want to be here because we're going to talk about unforgiveness. We're going to talk about this as such a big critical thing in our lives, unforgiveness. The week after that our worship pastor Becca is going to be speaking on grief and it's going to be really, really good. and Some heartbreaking moments in life and, and how to deal with those. So really encourage you to come uh, for those. So it's going to be really good. And today, well last week we talked about family and relationships. Today, I want to drill down on that even more and talk about not just people relationships, but literal like husband, wife, kids, parents, blood, family relationships. It's so important, and that's what we're kicking off uh, today to drill down on that from last week. Um, Speaking of family and and marriage, uh, our first, this is a true story, our first year of marriage, we've been married 13 years, our first year of marriage, I'd love to say was our best, and it certainly was not. (laughs) I think uh, our 13th so far has been the best, so I guess that's good. Uh, But our first year of marriage, true story, we could not go to Walmart without incurring an ensuing World War III. We couldn't go and shop together without screaming, kicking, yelling on the way home. It would be so bad. I mean, one of us would be screaming. I'm not going to say who it was. It wasn't me. One of us would be screaming and yelling on the way home. It'd like, let me out of the car. I'll just walk home. And I was smart enough not to do that. But screaming, yelling on the way home, and I mean just fighting the, this whole time. And, and it was all because, and you're going to laugh, but this is true. It was all because uh, when we would go to Walmart, I wanted to buy, because we were poor, but I wanted to buy name brand hot dogs. Like, and I love hot dogs. I eat them all the time. I know that hot dogs are not the most healthy thing. I know that hot dogs um, are what they're made out of, which is everything left on the floor from a hamburger. So whatever dunk doesn't go in a hamburger at the slaughterhouse, they put it on the floor, they sweep it with a broom, and they put it in a hot dog. And I eat it, and I love it, and it's good. And I wanted to buy dollar hot dogs, like a pack of hot dogs for a dollar. Because I have a little bit of faith in our government that would say, I, I, I would like to believe that they would at least regulate uh, animal products that would go into a hot dog. Like hopefully for a dollar, they're not just going to say, ah, who cares? But my wife, because we were poor, wanted to buy 
three cent hot dogs. And so the difference is, like the dollar hot dog, they're at least like, okay, we're only going to let two eyelids go in this one. With, with the three cent one, they're like, we just don't even care. If you're dumb enough to eat a three cent hot dog, that's risk at your own thing. Like we, we don't even care. And three cent hot dogs, like, man, there could be a hoof in there. that You don't know. It could be eyeball. You don't know. It's, and so we had this argument. And you're laughing, but it wasn't funny 13 years ago. It was argument, man. I mean, it was severe, you know, yelling, throwing dishes at each other. Again, that wasn't me. But it was bad. And now, in 13 years of marriage, we've learned and we've grown and we've come a long way. So now, when we go to Walmart, it's totally different. Now we have a, a six-year-old boy and an almost four-year-old girl. So now, our conversations at Walmart are totally opposite. Now, before we go to Walmart, we give each other a pep talk like we're going to go into a war zone, into battle. We give each other a pep talk like, babe, it's me and you. I don't care what happens in there. I don't care what names get called. I love you. We're on the same team together. I got your back. You got my back. We will survive this. We're going to make it. Don't forget, we're together in the trenches. And, and as soon as we get in there, sure enough, the war breaks out. And the kids are, I want this cereal. No, I want that cereal. No, that's unhealthy for you. No, I don't care. I want to buy this toy. You don't have enough money for that toy. I don't care. You got money. Give me the money you have. No, it doesn't work that way. You got to work and earn allowance. I don't care. And it's a war. And then it ends up, and some of you have seen this at Walmart, and you just pass by and pray for us, and that's okay. But, like, we'll be in Walmart. I'm like, baby, go get the, go get the eggs and the toilet paper. I got your back. I got you covered. I got your six. Run. Make a dash for it. I'm going to take him to the car. Like, and we, we get up in the car, and there's blood. I don't even know whose blood it is because it's not my kids. It's not mine. But there's blood. There's tears. I mean, we're all crying. We're hoarse from yelling at each other. Like, so we've learned now. Now we're, we're in the trenches together. We're on the same team. And before, man, it was we were fighting against each other. So you learn a lot in, in marriage and in these relationships and What's amazing, as we've talked about, the Bible actually begins the very first book of the Bible called Genesis, which just means beginnings. It's how God created everything. And then the last book of the Bible, Revelation, kind of how everything ends. And, and in Genesis, in the second chapter, like this really happens. You can read it. God creates the whole world, and it's amazing. It's awesome. It's good. The next thing God does after he creates the world is he performs a wedding ceremony between the first two people God ever made on this planet, Adam and Eve. He marries them in the Garden of Eden. Then go all the way to the very end of the Bible, the last two chapters of the last book of the Bible in Revelation. The Bible literally ends with, with what's called the marriage supper with Jesus. So in other words, all the followers of Jesus that, that have lived their life for Jesus on this earth will be with him forever and ever. And it's this huge ceremony that we're going to get to be with God forever and ever and ever for eternity. And it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to talk about Revelation in May here at Pathway on Sundays. But it's amazing to me that the Bible literally begins with a wedding. And the Bible ends with a wedding. God and the Bible have a lot to say about marriage relationships. A lot to say about it. And, and so there's a lot to say. I wanted to focus on what I believe is the most clear-cut, like word-for-word, clear, no misunderstanding of specific roles of what God's blueprint, if God could have a guideline and a blueprint of what he wants you to do in a marriage, what he wants your family to look like, the guidelines for that, I believe this is it. And it's in the New Testament of the Bible. The Bible is divided between New and Old Testament. In the New Testament, a book called Ephesians, and just to give you as your 
your, you can turn there in their Bible or it'll be on the screen behind me. You can download the Pathway app and follow along there. But in Ephesians, it's written by a guy named Paul. And Paul was a follower of Jesus. And, but he's in jail as he writes this. He's in jail because he told people about Jesus. And so that day it was illegal. So he's in jail writing this letter to some Christians to a church that he started in a town called Ephesus. And Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. And he's writing that. This is 2,000 years ago. And in that day, they lived in a dominated Roman culture. And in Roman culture, it's, it's uh, kind of not too that different from American culture. But in Roman culture, uh, because what, what you and I are about to read flies in the face of what pop culture said was acceptable at that time. At that time in pop culture, men had all the rights. Women were mostly viewed as property. Children had no rights at all. In fact, it was not uncommon at all. It was very common that if you had a baby boy, you're going to keep a boy no matter what because they held value. If you had a daughter, you may or may not keep the first daughter. If you wanted to, you could. You didn't have to. If you had a second daughter, most people, not everybody, but most people would take that second baby girl, take her to the edge of town to a ditch or a cliff, and drop her off the cliff to die. They didn't value women at all. They really, and, and in fact, what they would do sometimes with children, if you owed money, there wasn't a credit card payment system. If you owed money, they would sell sometimes their kids into slavery, sometimes even sexual slavery. And so what you and I are about to read is so revolutionary when people originally read it. They, it was just counterculture. And I think we're almost getting to a place where it's going to be revolutionary again in our own culture. But look at this. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this. Out of respect for Christ, be courteous, reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. That's so good. So just as the church submits to Jesus as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Then he says in verse 25, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Jesus did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words invoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they already are one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No one feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, but they become one. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Children, do not do what your parents tell you. This is only right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. So you will live long and a healthy life. Fathers, do not exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. 
What's, what's amazing about that, if I could sum that up into one simple phrase, what's the main goal? What's the main thought behind what we just read? I believe it would be this, that love for your family comes and follows your love for God. That you, the way you love your husband, the way you love your wife, the way you love your kids flows out of the way you love God. Notice the example that he used over and over and over again. That, hey, the family, whether your husband, wife, or kids, is very similar to how Jesus loves you. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But, but he basically says this, that God is the source of all love. In fact, later on in the New Testament, in a book called First John, John was a follower of Jesus. And John writes this, and he says, God is love. Like literal love, that is God. And so understand that the source of love is not the Hallmark Channel. It's certainly not Lifetime because people get killed on Lifetime. It's not you. It's not me. It's not Valentine's Day. The source of love isn't Nicholas Sparks, which he's a good author. The source of love is God and God alone. So he makes this understanding that, listen, if God is the source of love, then you cannot love other people without first loving God. This is what it looks like in practical life. That for me as a follower of Jesus, I wake up every day and I say, God, I recognize that you are love. You are the source of love. So God, fill me up with your love today. And as God, as I spend time with God every day, I don't do that because I check some religious box that, well, I pray today. No, no, no. I spend time with God every day. And as I do that, he is filling me up with his love so that when I go throughout my day, I can pour that love out onto my wife and onto my kids. And I pour that love out. But here's the cool thing, because my wife believes in Jesus and follows him as well. So while I'm doing that every morning, she's doing the same thing. She's saying, God, thank you for loving me. God, I, I want more of your love in my life, and I want to love you more. And as she does that, God fills her every day. The Bible says every day God's love is fresh for us. His mercy and grace are new every day. So God fills my wife up every day with his love, and then God fills me up every day with his love. So then every day I am pouring that love out selflessly onto my wife and onto my kids. Here's the cool thing. In 13 years of marriage, I promise you I have never had one day where I have not felt love from my wife. No, I, every day I am swimming and drowning in love because as I pour that love out, what's she doing? She's filling it back up to me. As I'm giving her love, which is really God's love, she is filling me up. So I never lack love. I never have a moment in my life where I'm love deficient. No, I always have a surplus because as much love as I give out, she fills it right back up. And I fill her back up as well. Because God is the foundation of real love. Listen, our culture says that love comes from love. Love comes from each other. Love comes from someone else or reading a book. or Listen, no it doesn't. Because clearly if you believe the Bible, God alone is the source of all love. Which means this. When you hear people say, well, we just fell out of love. Well, I don't feel like I love you anymore. Then what you've done is you've really watered this beautiful power thing called love. You've watered it down to a mere emotion. Emotion just like when you get hungry, when you get mad, when you get sad. Can I tell you, love is much bigger than your emotion. And so that's why it's important to understand. No wonder you get frustrated. No wonder you're ready to call it quits in your marriage. No wonder you don't feel love because Love should never originate with you in the first place. It should originate out of your relationship with God. As he fills you up, you pour it back out. That is God's design. That is the baseline of what God wants for your life. And 
I love what Paul says, and again, these are God's words through Paul, but that's the baseline that you have to understand. Every relationship that you have must start with your love for God, and you start there and pour that out. When you do that, you will never need someone else's validation. Listen, I hope, I love it, I really do. When you come and tell me, man, that was a great message, and man, you know, doing a good job, it really means a lot to me, but I don't need it. I don't even need validation from my wife. I love it. It means a lot to me, but I don't need it. Why? Because I get validation from God every day of my life. Why? Because he's the source of love, not my wife. And so I never need it. I never need the validation because every day I am swimming in God's love. I have his validation, and that's all I need. That's what he's meaning in verse 21. That's the, that's the basis for everything he's about to say. Look, that you got to love each other the way Jesus loves you. That's the main idea. Your love for God flows out of your love for other people. I love this. Why is this such a big deal? Because real love is selfless love. Real love is selfless love. Notice what he says in verse 22 through 24 when he's talking about wives. He says this. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises that leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Now, here's the deal. There's going to be some people who that word submit, especially in that verse, I believe is one of, if not the most, used and abused verses in the whole Bible. Because we have people over here on the far right that love to use that verse to uh, kind of, I think, abuse their wives and say, well, hey, listen, woman, the Bible says that, that you got to submit. And so when I say that, that, you know, I want my mac and cheese at 6 o'clock every night, there better be mac and cheese and it better be hot 6 o'clock. And I want you to wear this and I want you to look this, and I want you to have a job. I don't want you to have a job. And, and like, uh, hey, it says submit, so you got to submit. No, you bonehead. It doesn't mean that at all. That's not what, notice what it said. They, they do that the way that you do that to Jesus. So listen, he, he says this, that the way, ladies, you submit to Jesus, and, and how does that look? Well, as a follower of Jesus, it should be like this. Every day, Father, today is your day. It's not mine. God, you alone are in control of my life. And from this very moment on, I give this day to you. You're the center of attention. Draw me closer to you. Show me to honor you and be more in love with you today. That's what it means to submit. It doesn't mean, okay, God, today we're doing it my way. Today, God, this is what I want. This is where I'm going. Whether you like it or not, God, this is what's going to happen. No. It's submit. What did he say? Out of love. Love is selfless. Love has nothing to do with your rights. We have other people on the, on the other side because we live in a woke culture that says this, well, hey, submit. Man, no wonder the Bible's so old. It's archaic. Submit. We don't have to submit today. Women today have rights and equal rights. Listen, that's not what it's saying. Love has nothing to do with equal rights. It's the opposite. Culture in America says that. American culture says love has everything to do with you. How does it make you feel? What can that person give to you? That's not God's version of love. God's version of love, it's, it's not about what you can do for me. It's what can I do for you. Even when you hurt me, even when it's painful, I still give you love. And notice, that's what he's saying here, that, that love is selfless. This is God's definition of it. And listen, so, so guys, before we get too excited, like, all right, that's good, yeah, amen, because you wouldn't say it out loud because your wife's sitting there. But we might think that, listen, he gives four sentences to wives 
He gives eight sentences to husbands. Man, we have a huge, huge responsibility. Look at what he says in verse 25 to 28. He says, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. Look at this, a love marked by giving, not getting. Jesus loves makes the church whole. His words invoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best in her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since there already are one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one. And he continues on later. It says, this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how the wife is to honor her husband. Listen, that word love, notice that, that key idea, man. It says this, that husbands, you should love your wife. How? The way Jesus loves you. Now, that word love, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. That word love in Greek means agape, which simply means this. It is a giving love. It is a selfless love. It means literally love that seeks the highest possible good for the other person. Think about that, man. I think we have a huge challenge that you are to love your wife. Listen, if you're single and you're looking for a husband, do not settle for anything less than God's best. How do you know it's God's best? He treats you like Ephesians 5. That's the idea. And notice that's what he says, that, that love is selfless. Men, love your wife, seeking the highest possible good for her every day, seeking ways to honor her. How does Jesus love you? Think about this. This is huge. How does Jesus love you, men? Whenever we make a mistake, whenever we sin, whenever we disobey God, what does Jesus do? Does he say, you bonehead, you're supposed to be smarter than that by now. You know what? You're just like your mom and dad. You know what? My parents said you weren't going to amount to anything. And you did. Hey, you know what you did six months ago? I'm going to remember it and throw it back up in your face. You're, you're, you know what? You're lazy. And no, Jesus doesn't do that. When you ask for forgiveness from Jesus, all you say is, I'm sorry. Jesus says, you're forgiven. Let's move on. He doesn't hold it against you. He doesn't bring it back up six fronts from now. He doesn't tell you, well, you always do that. Well, you never do that. No, he doesn't belittle you. He loves you and lifts you up. Man, that's how you're to love your wife. How does Jesus love the church? How does Jesus love you? He literally did what? Jesus' love doesn't say, I want you to come to me. Hey, men, what can you give to me? How can you honor me? That's not Jesus. That's not God's love. That might be the definition of culture, but God's love, Jesus' love is the opposite. Jesus says, even when you hate me, even when you don't believe in me, I still love you. You can't stop my love for you. I am obsessed with you. I think about you when you're sleeping. I, I am madly crazy in love with you and nothing you could do could separate that love that I have for you that is Jesus love towards you that is how you're to love your wife how does Jesus love the church he literally gave all he had in fact the Bible says in the New Testament in Romans that Jesus gave his very best which was what his life Think about this, guys. There's nothing else Jesus could ever give you in this life because he already gave you the best he had, his own life. Man, I hope that we would all agree we would die for our spouse. And, and if you wouldn't, we have some good marriage counselors here at Pathway that I'd love to recommend you. That's another conversation. But even more than that, I don't know that, that Jesus is calling us to die for our spouse because, listen, Jesus, yes, he died for you, 
but he's not still in the ground. No, Jesus rose. He is alive. In other words, Jesus is living for you and for me, and we're to live for him. How does Jesus love the church? Yeah, he died, but now he's living for them. Listen, men, you are to live for your wife. Yeah, I hope you would die for her, but more than that, God's not calling you to that. He's calling you to live for her. He's calling you, men. So women, we're to get up every day and say, God, how can I honor you? How can I honor my husband? How can I be a blessing to him? How can I show him that I love him? Men, we're to do the same thing selflessly. God, today, because it's your love, not mine. It's not about my love for my wife. It's your love for me. And as a result, I'm to love her. So God, fill me up today that I can seek her highest possible good. That it's not about what she does or doesn't do for me today. It's not about how she makes me feel or doesn't make me feel. No, today, it's all about her. How can I bless her? How can I love her? How can I show her her love for me? Listen, how does Jesus love us? He doesn't just send us a greeting card on Valentine's Day and say, I love you. No, Jesus said, it's not just my words that I love you. I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to die for you. Man, we ought to not just tell our wives we love them. Of course we should do that. But show them just as Jesus shows his love for you every day. Think about that. The way you love Jesus is the way we're to love our spouse. That's what it boils down to. Notice, it doesn't stop there. He continues on in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. He talks about kids. We talked about wives. We talked about husbands. Now kids, he says this, children, do what your parents tell you. This is only right. Honor your father and mother. Is this, this is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it, that you will live well and have a long life. Listen, if you're living at home, you're a teenager, and you're living at home, that understand, obey your parents. Why? Because if your parents are followers of Jesus, I really hope they're doing this, and I believe they are. I do this for my kids. Every day I pray for my kids fervently. God, give me wisdom to raise them in a way that draws them closer to you, that they love you. Like, like listen, when you obey your parents, that's what God wants for you. That's God's command. Like, that's it. Like, God says love and obey your parents. But it says also, yeah, God tells us to do that. It's a command of God to obey your parents. But in addition to that, he says, you have a personal benefit attached to it. This is the first command of God that has a direct blessing connected. So listen, if you're living at home, you're a teenager, like, you should want God's blessing in your life. How do you get that? It's easy. Obey your mom and dad. Because they truly have your best interest at heart. Now, if your parents aren't followers of Jesus, it's a little different. Don't ever do anything that your parents would have you do that's illegal or immoral, unethical, or goes against the Bible. But if your parents are followers of Jesus, obey them. They really have. You may not understand it, but they really have your best interest at heart. Obey your mom and dad. If you do that, you will have God's blessing and God's hand of favor, and you'll live a good, long life of God's blessing and favor on you. It's not hard. And notice he doesn't end there. He talked about wives. He talked about husband. He talked about kids. Now he brings it full circle, and he talks about parents. In verse 4, he says, fathers, I think we could say mothers as well. Parents, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. In other words, parents, because we have babies coming out our ears here at Pathway, which I love. Parents, don't exasperate your kids by the way you raise them. But instead, lift them up to Jesus. 
In other words, parents, don't do things to your kids that push them away from Jesus. No, do things for your kids that bring them more in love with Jesus. Listen, clearly as we read, and you can agree or disagree, but clearly biblically, men, we are the spiritual leaders of our homes. Maybe you're not the financial leader. That's okay. My wife, uh, in my life, my wife is the financial leader of our home. She's the CFO of the Thiessen household, and I'm good with that. She makes a lot of executive decisions. I'm fine with that. But when it comes to spiritual things, it's not chauvinistic. It's biblical. I'm the leader of our home. That means that it's my job to pray over our family. She does as well, but I lead our family spiritually. In other words, it, it's this, that parents, especially men, do things that are going to purposely bring your wife closer to Jesus. Parents, do things that are purposely going to bring your kids closer to Jesus. Think about this, parents. Wouldn't you love it if on your kid's graduation night of high school, they got the cap and the gown, they got the diploma, they walk across the stage, and they come over to you, and maybe they got tears in their eyes, you got tears in your eyes too, and they say, man, I couldn't be here without you. Thank you so much. I just want you to know, Mom. I just want you to know, Dad. I never said this out loud, but I'm about to go to college. I just wanted you to know I am the man. I am the woman I am today. I love Jesus with all my heart because of you. Listen, you can pass down athletic skills to your kids. You can pass down head knowledge to your kids. But the most important thing, wouldn't you want as a parent for your kids on graduation day to say, I love Jesus with all my heart because of you. I've seen you, Mom. I've seen you, Dad, the way you love Jesus. And because the way you love Jesus, it made me want to love Jesus even more. Listen, men, wouldn't the greatest Valentine's Day, the greatest Father's Day gift of all, it would be for me. I'm not quite there yet, I'll admit. But I would love it if I could have my wife come to me someday on Valentine's Day or Father's Day, my birthday, and say, I just want you to know, after 13 years of marriage, I love Jesus more today than I did 13 years ago because of you. Because the example that you set. You make me want to love Jesus more. That's the highest compliment I could ever have in my life. I love when you say, Brian, you did a good job. As an, I love it. But to hear that as a parent, to hear that as a husband is priceless. That's my goal. Listen, this is how we are different from culture. As a follower of Jesus, we are to be different from the culture around us. How? By doing this. Culture around us today says, oh, love is all about you, and love is what they can give to you. Love is how you feel, and if they don't treat you the right way, you know, you can get out of it. And, and love is all about you and what you can get. That's the opposite of God's love. God will never, ever look at you. He never has, and he never will. God is never going to look at you and say, what can you give me? What can you do for me? No, that's not God. God says, it ain't about what you can do for me. It's about what I have already done for you. Why? Out of love. That's my only motive. My only motivation is love for you. And in that same way, that's how you're to love your family. That's how you're to love your spouse, how you're supposed to love your kids. That's how you're different. Wouldn't you want your marriage to be like this? How different would your marriage be if, if you did this? How different would your kids be if you did this? How different would your life be if you did this? So here's what I think the clear next steps are. To me, it's, it's quite simple. To live, to love like no one else, you're going to live like no one else. When you can really learn to love like no one else around you, you're going to live like no one else around you. You want to have a marriage that other people are jealous of? I do. You want to be a spouse that other spouses are jealous of? I do. You want to be a parent that other parents are jealous of? I do. 
How do I do that? By loving my family like nobody else I know. By loving my family the way God tells me to. In Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, it's so simple. That when I love like nobody in this culture around me loves, I'm going to have a marriage like nobody has. I'm going to be a parent like nobody has. I'm going to have kids like nobody has. Other kids will be smarter, but they're not going to love Jesus more than that. Other kids might be better athletes, but they're gonna, I'm going to be a better dad. That's the goal. How do you do that? Like, I believe Ephesians 5 is so clear and so simple, and, and it can help you right now this week. And on top of that, I just want to give, after 13 years of doing this, some principles that I've learned in my personal life and also as a pastor. Sometimes people come for counseling, and I'm not a licensed counselor, but I do some here and there to help people. Some things that I've learned that I believe are really going to help you right now today. They're really simple. Some very practical things to love like no one else so you can live like no one else. And these are in no particular order, but I think communication is huge. That's number one. Communication. In fact, 90% of the time when people come to me and they're having issues in their marriage, a lot of the time you can boil it down to a couple things, and usually communication is one of them, or it's in the top three. Communication. Listen, ladies, as a man... He cannot, we cannot read your mind. I wish we could. Women are so special. They're so, because they can read each other's minds. Women can read everybody. They can read, they're Dr. Doodle. They can read animals' minds. They can, Nat Geo has done studies to prove women can read each other's brains without saying a word. But men don't have that gene. We can't do that. So just know, ladies, when it comes to communication, there's not a lot up here. We don't really know what you're thinking. So tell us. Listen, guys. Communicate to your wife. Tell her what you're thinking. Don't just say, well, you know, no, I don't care. No, yeah, you do care. Just tell her. Be open. Be honest. Communication is key. And listen, when you do have a disagreement, hopefully it doesn't end up World War III over hot dogs. But if it does, and you have disagreements, a book that we read when we were engaged before we got married, we we read a lot of books on relationships and marriage. And one of the, the greatest books we read, a piece of advice said, have a Geneva Convention. In war, nations, most nations, agree to a Geneva Convention, which would say, as we fight each other and kill each other, there's a couple things that we agree we will not do. Listen, when you in a marriage say, hey, when we have an argument, there's a couple things that when you do it and say it, it cuts me to pieces. Write those things down and agree to them. Hey, when we're having an argument, please don't say, you're just like your mom. Please don't just storm off in a huff and be gone all night and come in at 5 a.m. the next day. Hey, please don't say, well, you always do. You never do that. Please don't bring up things that I did six months ago or a year ago. Write those things down in communication, in Geneva Convention. Hopefully those things won't happen now after you've read Ephesians 5. Here's another one. Transparency is key. It, it boils my skin when I sometimes hear couples, Christian couples, who... Uh, they don't have each other's passwords to each other's phones. Listen, the day I put a ring on it and we got engaged, I said, not only am I getting engaged to you and to your family, to your history, to your future, but here's all of my family, all my history, all my future, and here's where I'm at today. I gave her instant access to all my bank accounts, which was only one. There was a dollar in it that I was saving for Whataburger. But I gave her everything I had. I said, hey, here's all the passwords of myself on my phone. Here's all the passwords I have on social media. Here's all the passwords of my emails. Text messages. My wife has full, we're one flesh. I'm not, indi- I'm not individual Brian anymore. We're one. I was incomplete before I met her. This is biblical. And now I'm one person. So it's not, listen, it's not your phone. 
It's your phone together, your spouse's phone. It's not your email. It's not your social media account. It's yours together. Give it to each other. Transparency is key. Here's another one. Go on regular dates. I haven't always been the best at this, but go on regular dates. Maybe because of work, you can't go every week. Make it every other week. Maybe once a month, but no less than once a month. Go on regular dates without the kids. Spend time with each other. That, that could look at different ways if you can't get a sitter. What we do sometimes is we'll put the kids to bed a little early. We'll rent a movie and have popcorn, and that works as a date time for us. Now because our kids are in school, we, we both have Wednesdays, and we block that off all of 2020. I'm not going to have lunch with people, and neither is she. We're going to have a date lunch together. Even if it's bologna sandwich with each other at our house, we're going to have date time every Wednesday. Date each other regularly. If you do have kids, then take them on dates individually. We've been really good at that. I'll take sometimes just me and my son. I try to make it a point once a week to spend time with just him and just my daughter once a week. There's nothing more important to me than my family. As much as I love you, I love my family more. Nothing compares to my time with my family. Here's something else. Speaking of kids, listen, parents, whether your kids are 20 years old or two months old, doesn't matter. Let your kids, write this down, let your kids see you pray and see you kiss. Whatever order you want to do that in, that's fine. But let your kids see you pray and see you kiss. Do not let your kids see you fight and argue. You can have a little disagreement. No, I want to go here. No, I want to go there. That's not what we're talking about. If it starts to turn into an all-out war, don't do it in front of your kids. You don't want your kids to get 18 years old, leave the house and say, man, all, I did, all my parents did was fight and argue. You don't want that. What parent would want that? Here's what I pray over my kids. I pray that, that I set the bar so high the way I love my wife that my daughter is 50 years old before she gets married because I set the bar so high. Like I ain't going to find another guy the way he treats my, my mom. That's what I'm looking for, the way my dad treats my mom. Same thing with my son. I, I want my kids, when they turn 18 and leave the house, I want my kids to say, man, I never really saw my mom and dad argue. I saw them pray together all the time. I saw them loving on each other, holding hands, hugging, kissing all the time. That's what the legacy you should want to be branded in the brains of your children. Listen, it's never too late to start. Never too late to start. Here's the thing about kids as well. Somebody told us before we had our first son, children are a welcome addition to your family. But they are not the center of your family. I told you kids are, I love my family with all my heart. I love my wife way more than I love my kids. I love them, but I love my wife. My, my, I grew up in a home like this, so I can speak from experience. But one thing my dad told me when I was 12 and 13 years old, he said, Brian, I love you, and you're, you're a great son, you're a great kid. I love you, but I love your mom way more than I will ever love you. And I was like, well, thanks a lot, Dad. Um, I'll go pound sand or something. And he said, no, here's, here's what that means. You're going to get 18, and you're going to go to college, and you're going to get married, and you're going to have a life and kids of your own. You're going to leave this house and never come back. I hope that you do anyway. You're going to leave and never come back, but I will always have your mom. It really breaks my heart when I hear couples, even Christian couples, have been married 25 years. As soon as that last kid graduates and leaves home, so does one spouse. You think, how could that have you been married 25 years? How does that happen? I think it's quite simple. You don't do it on purpose. No one would ever do it on purpose. But instead of making the spouse the center of your marriage, the kids become the center of the marriage. And so now every night of the week, we're chasing our kids different places all over town. I'm not saying they shouldn't be involved in stuff, but we make our kids the center of attention. 
And when that happens day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and they leave home, no wonder we've grown apart over 25 years. And now I'm living with a roommate who's really a stranger that one time I loved. No, make it clear to your kids, when I'm talking to your mom, when I'm talking to your dad, they're the priority, not you. Everything we do revolves around each other. You're just a welcome addition to that. Again, take your kids on dates, but make your spouse the center of that love. How, this is God's guidelines, God's blueprints of what he wants for you, of what God wants for your marriage, of what God wants for your husband, for your wife, for you as a dad, as a mom, for your kids, for your family. How would your life be different if you did Ephesians 5? Today we're ending 21 days of prayer and fasting here at Pathway. And I'm so thankful. I've already had three donuts this morning and it was amazing. But I just... I just challenge you, for those of you that want extra credit, not with God because he doesn't work that way, but I do. If you want extra credit, here's my challenge to you. Over the next 21 days, live out Ephesians 5. Live it out. As a husband, as a wife, as a parent. Live out Ephesians 5 over the next 21 days. Which means the next 21 days, your prayer goes, God, it's not about what they do for me. It's not about how they make me feel. It's about what can I do for them. How can I give love to them? Because, God, I'm not the center of love. They're not the center of love. You are. So, God, as you fill me up, I'm going to pour it right back out into them. I guarantee you do that 21 days. It will radically change your marriage. It will radically change you. It will change your family. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, that you didn't just say family's important, figure it out, but that you gave us very, very clear guidelines, a blueprint of what you want the marriage and family relationship to be. It's in Ephesians 5. You give specific guidelines for husbands and for wives and for kids and as parents. Teach us and show us how to live that out according to Ephesians 5 and 6. I pray over the next 21 days that would be our goal. Father, we love you and we thank you. Teach us to love like no one else so we can really live like no one else. Because you're the source of love. And real love is selfless, not about me. What an incredible message. Thanks again for joining us today here on the Pathway Church Podcast. If you want someone to agree in prayer with you, or if you are looking to take the next steps in your relationship with God, please reach out to us by texting PODCAST to 405-400-0339. We can't wait to connect with you. Did you know you can follow along with the sermon notes on our app? Just download the Pathway app by searching Your Pathway Church, all one word, on your iPhone or Android. Then click Sunday Notes. You can also follow along with us on Instagram and Facebook at Your Pathway Church. Well, it's been a blast hanging out with you today. See you next week right here for another life-giving message.